Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Podcast number one, man. Welcome to Recovery Rockstars Uncut, uniting the recovery community with raw and real stories. Your host, Kevin Z, puts the light on people and brands that are rocking the recovery lifestyle. So you want to be a rock superstar? RecoveryRockstars.com. Now, here's Kevin. Welcome to Recovery Rockstars Uncut, episode two. I am your host, Kevin Z. And you guys, I got to tell you, I couldn't be more excited for today. We got my boy Fuxi on. Fuxi, what is up, brother? What's going on, world? What's up, Kevin? What's crackalacking? So, you guys, real quick, I have to set the stage for how you and I met. Um, what was it, roughly three, four weeks ago? I got this DM. By the way, I love when you guys send me DMs. I get this DM from I am Fuxi. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I open the uh, the DM. There's this massive smile, dude, just staring me in this face. This guy's got this <laughs> rad beard, just this massive beard and this huge smile. And on the lid of his hat, it says smile. So I got to tell you, that picture just made my day. It just made my day. You got a great smile, bro. I love that you shared it with your world. And in fact, you inspired me to create like this small campaign on Recovery Rockstar's Instagram page to share your smile because... Dude, a smile does brighten a day, and a smile's infectious, especially yours, dude. Thank you. I'm sure. I'm sure there's like tons of signs to back that up too. <laughs> Absolutely. So what's <laughs> cool is you're right up the coast. You're in San Clemente. I gotta ask you, how beautiful is it today here in Southern California? Uh, best climate in the world. I don't think I've seen a day above 90 degrees, nor have I seen a day below 45. Yeah, it's been a beautiful day. I woke up in the best mood. I got to tell you, I didn't sleep real good last night. I was so excited to talk to you. So uh, let's get into it. So Fuxi, man, um, you sent me your bio. I appreciate everything that you sent. Uh, it turns out you were born in Ukraine. Right. 1985, when the Ukraine was still a part of the Soviet Union. So I was born a communist. I joke, but I was, bo- <laughs> I was born uh, when it was still part of the USSR and... In about 89, when like the Cold War was coming to an end, we, my family was like, we got to get the hell out of there because we, we were born in a, um, a smaller city called Odessa, uh-huh. not from an affluent family, so kind of in the slums. And my family's Jewish, so there's not many opportunities for hmm. being poor and Jewish. So we got the hell out of there. We went to Italy, went to Austria, and then finally America decided to uh, take us in about about nine months into our travels. Nice, man. And where'd you uh, where'd you land when you got to America? Los Angeles. Well, we, we landed uh, uh, in New York. How every every other immigrant. Does. 
<laughs> and most of, most of my family stayed in Brooklyn, where uh-huh. the Russians are, Brighton Beach. Yeah. But we came to Los Angeles, uh, where a lot of the other Russians are. Very nice. Very nice. Hollywood, California, to be exact. And in Hollywood, you can get in serious trouble with drugs. Oh man, uh, it's what's cool about Hollywood or Los Angeles in general is you lose yourself really quickly, but you can really find yourself. Hmm. Because there's so many people that are like you that you will find yourself a little corner, mm-hmm. but you get exposed to everything, man. Like growing up in Hollywood, I would see a Bentley and a bum on the same corner. Crazy. You know, a yeah. businessman and somebody who's just dead broke on the same at the same coffee shop. So you just get exposed to so much shit that not much kind of staggers me anymore. Yeah. So when you um when you moved to LA, you started school. Tell me, when did you start drinking or using drugs? Uh, twelve. So, I'm sure I had some alcohol before I was twelve, just kind of like in a social family setting. Uh, growing up Russian, alcohol is not really. Uh, it's kind of it, it's very approved of, unless you're like that raging alcoholic. Mm-hmm. If you're not, it's pretty approved of. But the first time I actually um, tried drugs, I was uh, in eighth grade, Miss Sabasova's geometry class, back row, and the cool kid in class, he had like Liberty Spice, a skater kid. <laughs> he uh, he just leaned over with this little nickel bag of some dirt bullshit and just asked me if I wanted to smoke. And Not in class, right? I had no clue what it was. I had no clue what it was. Um, I just knew he was cool. And I, I was I was willing to do whatever to be cool. So we smoked uh, that same day at our old elementary school. I knew him from way back. Mm-hmm. And he brought this Eminem Minis container that he made into a little pipe. And we I took two puffs and I got zero high. But I did get in trouble that first time I smoked right off the bat. My parents called me that night. So how did they catch you? Smell you? Uh, uh, a friend that was a part of that little circle he got caught by his folks his folks reached out to my folks and yeah and so that no fun in the beginning it was all fun and problems yeah yeah so do you remember what that feeling was like so you said you didn't get high the first time no. but you got caught the first time but it yeah. didn't scare you uh-huh. enough to scare you away from drugs what happened next? So you smoked that first time. Did you keep on hanging out with the cool kids and continue yep. to smoke? Absolutely. Uh, there was something pleasurable about doing something bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's really hard to explain it. It's a really stupid idea, but it really exists when you get this rush from doing something bad. Uh, I wasn't so drawn to the feeling because I didn't even really get high. But I was drawn to the act of, I guess, kind of acting out, devious, misbehaving. Yeah. And uh, as soon as that happened, I got closer with that crowd. Uh, in in eighth grade, there was this. Um, it was like a drug treatment class at our middle school because there was already some kids that were messing up, and I asked to be a part of it because I just wanted to be with those guys. I told one of my professors or one of my teachers, Miss Bochamp. I was like, you know what? My parents caught me and I'm in a lot of trouble. I think I need help. So once a week, they would pull me out of English class and I'd sit in a circle with these other, uh, I guess, 
bad kids and we would talk about our drug problems in the eighth grade. Wow. And it was, I mean, it was just a shit show in that room. But How many people were in that room? How many kids were in this circle? About five to eight kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of them were already like going off the deep end. Uh, some of them were like already like shooting up and snoring coke. Eight, and, eighth grade? Oh, in eighth grade. Easy. Yeah. Welcome to Hollywood, and, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's, this is not like hearsay. I, I, I knew they did this. I seen them do this. So, wow. That's um, scary. Yeah. God, I just want to be so part scary. of that circle. I don't know why. Yeah, I think uh, the little rebellion when you're young and 13 and naive and think you got the whole world ahead of you, and you do yeah. want to be the cool kid. You want to rebel. You want to act out. I guess that's what society teaches us if you watch TV and look at social media and all that crap, right? Right. I, my, my view of who was cool was so skewed. So jaded, right? And the more, the older you get, the more that you realize that people who are fulfilling their dreams and sober and going after it, that's who's cool. Absolutely. And that's, that's why we're trying to create this movement, buddy, that you're a part that's of. Right. So take right. me through. So eighth grade, smoking weed, sitting in circles, and then you hit high school. Yeah. So in high school, I developed some sort of like identity already. Um, I was that um, Russian weed smoking nerd. Because <laughs> I was um, – I was gifted academically, like school was never too challenging for me, yeah. at least to get grades. And, but I was already, I was also like really into rap music and hip hop culture. And high school just kind of took off from there because people were already associating me to smoking pot. So they would come to me like, where do I get this? Where do I get that? So I just direct them to that person, direct them to that person. So by 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 all of those interactions i just dove deeper into the lifestyle of mm-hmm. uh, using abusing peddling um everything kind of just revolved around the lifestyle yeah um, i guess drugs and alcohol in the most simplest form so when you're going through this in high school um did you ever once feel like things were getting out of hand that you were addicted or you just, again, at it, 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 that age, do you even have those thoughts that come across? Um, I never felt like I was addicted, nor did I really think um, I had a real bad problem with the lifestyle consuming me because I wasn't able to step out of it and mm-hmm. take a look. I was just yeah. living life, you know? In, in hindsight, right, I was definitely going down that rabbit hole but yeah. in that moment now nah, it was just normal life because everybody else was doing it. everybody else is doing it yeah i just did it like maybe 5 10 20 30 percent more than they <laughs> did but i was still in the same category and through your high school years i mean what about your parents did they they know you were doing drugs um did you guys I have guess, these conversations i uh they must have because I mean, you could only do it so many times and cover the smell so many times before you mess up here or there. Um, they didn't really know how bad I was, how deep I was into the culture mm-hmm. until senior year where I got um, caught. Um, my school had a really bad drug problem, and I was a key component of that problem. I had uh, entrepreneurial ambitions from a young age. Gotcha. And I got popped for it. So wait, real quick, for those who are listening, who you were a dealer. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I help people find what they needed to find. Gotcha. And I got in trouble for that. And they, yeah, my world was blown up after that. What, what were the, uh, drugs? And I know it's so different, um, from back then to what's circling in in high schools now, but was it, you know, weed? Was it coke? Oh, it was Was so simple back then. Like, and, and, and back then isn't like 40 years ago. I'm 32. Right. And this was 2002, 2001 to 2003, kind of what we're talking about now. So I was 16, 17. And it was pretty simple. Like, we didn't really have that many names. It was basically, are you smoking stress or are you smoking chronic? That's mm. it. There, there was no other variations. Um, and then some people were already, like, dabbling with the mash, uh, mushrooms. And and then pills still weren't a big thing. So, I mean, I got popped with Vicod in that time. But it's, it wasn't like 30 different pain me- medicines that you can uh, pedal or all these different benzos. It was just pain kill, pain yeah. pills. Um, morphine was kind of big at my school. Um, yeah, it was it was so easy and so simple to understand what was going around. Not like bath salts and all these like chemical formula names for drugs nowadays. It's scary. It is really scary what's going on oh, through these high sure, schools right now. I would have killed myself if I was like 12 years old right now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you said you were a good student. So even through, you know, all the drug-induced days at high school, you were still getting good grades and functioning. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then after you uh, graduated from high school, where did you go? So I – so in senior year, I sent out all of my um, college applications and a month after I sent out all those applications, I got kicked out of high school. So I for hmm. sure thought my, I guess, um, current academic potential was kind of shot because I thought I was going to go to jail and everything because I got caught with some major, I guess, charges for a 17-year-old. And so I just sent all the schools I applied to a letter kind of explaining my situation. I kind of – I kind of um, – I gave him the surface story. It wasn't, I didn't lie, but it was a surface story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still got accepted everywhere. And so I guess, uh, so I got into UCLA right away from high school. So I went into UCLA on probation, like legal probation. So, so that my first two semesters at UCLA, I had good grades again, cause I was kind of drug free, just really focused on school. I had a 7 p.m legal curfew no driver's license i was taken away i was allowed to drive to school and back that's it wow um so no partying but that was ucla for the first two semesters and then what happened after the first two semesters (laughs) i picked up right where i left off my bro um i got off i got off probation and i still remember that night um i i bought a dub sack I bought some fresh zigzags, a lighter, some clear eyes. I got a ticket to the House of Blues down the street here on Sunset to see. Uh, it was Talib Kweli. I've seen him. He's Star. awesome. Yeah, gangster. And um, I think Pharrell Munch. Oh no, no, no! It was that was a different show. It was it was Common's Electric Circus uh, album tour with. Uh, um... Nope, I take that back. It was actually. <laughs> 
I went to, I've been to, I'm, I'm a huge hip hop head, so I've been to so many at that venue. It was Kanye West when he had the college dropout album and Dilated Peoples, uh, one of my favorite groups. They were performing. So I bought a ticket, smoked up, and I was back. So let me ask you this. When you were actually sitting there in probation, mm-hmm. were you just waiting to get off so you could pick up right back where you left off, as you just said? Uh, that's a great question. I've, I've never been asked that question or thought about it. I... Uh... I mean, didn't it feel good? Guess, you that two years that you took off and you were doing well and you were in school and, and you were in a, a routine and getting to bed early and doing well. And it, right. it, it's just, it, it always, you know, it's hard when I talk to people and they take that time off and they feel so well and they're doing so well in life. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm off. Here we go again. You know, and the, with the relapse and. It's just, it, it always fascinates me. So I'm curious, you know, to know if, if there was kind of a countdown, because like you said, right when you went off probation, bought a dime bag, you're lighting up, going to concerts, and you're back into that lifestyle. Well, when I was on probation, I wasn't a role model oh, uh, gotcha. probationer participant or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I still drank. You I did, still, okay. I still had a, a group of friends that my parents trusted, so... Um, I was able to go to their house and I still got drunk. I smoked a few times. I just didn't get caught. So the lifestyle was, I was still holding on to that lifestyle. Um, I just wasn't, I was just more cautious about it, but gotcha. I it never stopped. I never really changed. No. Gotcha. And like on probation, I would go, this was like now my second treatment program. Uh, I had to go to some program. I don't even think it exists anymore. It's called Jumpstart. And about three times a week, I think, I had to go after school. And we would just sit around, talk with a counselor, do some groups. That wasn't very effective. But I wasn't willing to participate. So it's not that it was their problem. You never essentially clicked with anybody in those groups, an accountability partner, somebody that can help you out? Nope. No. I just sat there. You know, one of the days I walked in and we watched Gangs in New York and I walked out. That was the treatment session. That was so... Not very effective. No. Some of the other sessions were, were better, but, yeah. you know, as a 17-year-old kid, I had an 18-year-old kid, uh, I wasn't smitten by anybody. Gotcha. So then, take me. you uh, hit up the Kanye West concerts. Yeah. And you're back at it. Take me through the last couple of years of, of college. Um, oh, man. Last couple of years were so tough, man, because I was already, like, full-blown. Um, I was already – I knew I had a problem because by that point, I already tried to stop on my own. Um, I just tried to stop with weed initially, thinking that, like, if I could just slow down smoking, I would be more productive because I already noticed that pot, was, pot took over, mm-hmm. uh, at least – I mean, I was already doing other drugs, but pot was like every breath of air. I needed to smoke something. So I try to slow down by smoking less, smoking less frequently, smoking less per session, not smoking while I at least drive to school. Mm -hmm. Uh, I failed every day. So I knew I was already having a problem. And uh, my um, entrepreneurial ambitions came right back as soon as I stopped, started smoking again too. So, uh, you know, college campuses, all college campuses have a drug problem. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. 
soon as you see a frat row, a sorority row, you know that there's a problem uh, yeah. brewing. Yeah. And, you know, I just got deeper with, with other drugs like Adderall, um, Vicodin. My friend would bring me like ounces of mushrooms to kind of spread around town. And, and then I eventually found uh, OxyContin because I only found it because there was a demand for it. And I just knew some the right people to get it from. And the last two years, I was already transitioning into becoming like my own best customer. Mm. So it was just uh, a lot of pain medicine all day long. Um, kind of like to run you through like maybe a typical day toward the end, it would be wake up and immediately smoke some kind of um, OxyContin or snort it because I was already waking up in uh, full withdrawal. And then go to 7-Eleven. Real, real quick. Sorry to cut you off, but I know Oxy's going around right now. Um, for those who are listening or parents who might be listening, how does Oxy make you feel? Like, what does it do to you? Sure. So it numbs you, first of all. So any kind of mental chaos that's going on no longer exists. Hmm. Any kind of physical dissatisfaction no longer exists you're just muted but you're not like xanax muted where you pass out you're just it's a it's a euphoric high so you're euphoric but you can function uh to, to a certain extent, extent. yeah to okay. a certain extent yeah um maybe not in the beginning because you might just like pass out because you're not out but afterwards you just you just feel good and it's really appealing even yeah. like talking about it now, I'm like, man, that'd be great. Last night when like I was having some anxiety, that would be great to just numb out. Yeah. But the consequences are just too um, great. And it's so addicting. Oh, instantaneously. Like unless you have like one really bad adverse reaction where you're just took too much and you're puking and now your brain is like scared of it. Mm -hmm. Highly addictive. Okay. Well, thanks for that. So take uh, continue to take me through your day. Yeah. So like, so a typical day in the last two years, yeah, just, it would just be every uh, opportunity I got throughout the day, I would be smoking oxy. Um, wow. Every opportunity I got, I would be smoking weed. And if I didn't have any of those two, um, I would find benzos to like just pass out or just drink 40s. It was just constantly inebriated constantly so hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Productivity was at an all-time low because my physical pain was at an all-time high and my mental chatter was just out of control. So I had to modulate that by... Dude. The only way I knew how, which was getting high, I did not have any coping skills, you know? God, man. So how did you feel? I mean, you just got to feel doing that over and over and over, just like shit and run down. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, at some point, you notice what you're doing. At some point, you actually 
are able to step outside of yourself and see the world you've created around you. You see yourself there and then you see the world around you. And it's really sad. It's really, really sad. Yet the hardest part about it is most of the time when you step out and look in, you actually don't know what to do. Yeah. Unless somebody is giving you directions on how to stop, you don't know how. Unless somebody's motivating you to stop, you don't know where to find motivation. Um, it's so, yeah, it's, it's just sad. So when you were knee deep, who was around you, and did um, you ask for help? I mean, did did you reach out to your parents, or were you in a uh, crew where all your boys were doing the exact same things, or did you have a girlfriend who supported you? So um, the drugs, so the, the the real hard drugs, I had. A group of people that I did them with that I associated with but they were not my close-knit group of people my closest best friends that are still my best friends today some of them had no clue what was going on uh, I really try to separate the worlds uh, my folks I was I visibly looked sick so mm. everybody knew something was wrong but I never confided in them nor did I ask them for any help I would just get caught so many times you know I'm actually sitting right now, I'm visiting my parents. So I'm sitting in a room right now that I used to sleep in. And in this room, my mom once found me like passed out with a, a little pipe I made to smoke heroin with in my hand. So she found me that way. So they knew things were wrong. I just never asked for any help. So didn't they want to help you though? When, when your mom walks in and she sees you with a pipe, she didn't immediately say, what's wrong? We're going to... Get help, no. whether it's AA or treatment center or whatever. Um, I, I think my parents are in the majority here where they don't know what to do. Gotcha. Okay. Um, they've never been exposed to this. I am the first person um, that they know personally that has struggled with this. So their emotions went straight to anger hmm. because of fear. You know, yeah. like what's my son doing? So I don't know how to show support i'm just angry and i don't knock them for it because they just didn't know any different um but when i actually did ask for help the very last time uh, i stopped my dad um in the hallway right next to me right here and i actually stopped and i begged him for help then they were all about it so you know, take 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 me to that moment because obviously you you've been through so much did you finally have that rock bottom moment where it's like, I cannot fucking do this anymore. I need yeah. help. I'm done. Um, there were, there were, there were a string of rock bottom moments. The, the very last one was, I think it was like end of July of 2010 where, um, so real quickly to, uh, share a little story so uh my grandmother is a huge part of my life she she primarily raised me uh, i shared a room with her from the time i was i don't know eight years old until i was like 22 <laughs> a small room it was me and her That's cute. Um, and she passed away on my birthday that year so oh, it's like dear. it's it shows how much closer we even got so i didn't take it too well so from may till about end of july uh, I went batshit crazy, and I my using was like I depleted all my funds, was robbing, stealing to get more funds, and 
I was physically in so much pain because you just are when you're withdrawing. And one day I woke up at like three or two in the morning, two, three in the morning, and I was hurting and I had no more dope left. So I put on the first thing I saw, which was like a nice pea coat and a fedora. I think I had a suit underneath. I don't I think I had a suit underneath. I um I robbed somebody. Oh my god. And, uh, um I, I broke into their house and um I ended up like in a not so great area, not the worst, but a not so great area, just chilling on the corner waiting for my dope dealer at like four in the morning. Prostitutes walking by, just chatting. And the next morning I woke up and I'm like, okay this is it. Like, I can't, I can't do this again. Cause this was, this was going to happen again. Yeah. Unless you stop like 100%, the story I just told will reoccur. It's just yeah. the nature of addiction. Yeah. I wasn't willing for this to happen again. So that's when I, yeah. I just, I asked for help. I yeah. I'm sure it. never in your life. Did you ever think that you would put on a Pico at four in the morning and go rob somebody? Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story. So finally, you hit no, the bottom. By the way, nobody, nobody, nobody got physically hurt in that story. <laughs> That's good. I, I did take somebody's peace of mind for a moment, but nobody got hurt. Yeah. Well, it just shows you, you know, how desperate you can get in certain scenarios when you're using. Right. So then you talked to your dad and your dad was right on board. He said, yep, absolutely. Let's do this. So yeah. where, where did you guys go to get help? How, what did that process look like? So I was not very involved in that process because I also had no clue where to go. Um, I simply... <laughs> I somebody there? The <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Ground, but that's, that's my dad. That's my dad coming home right now. So I'm visiting my parents, as I said. Tell them I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> and... And within the next like three, four days, my sister, who's um, nine years older than me, so she's also like part mother, she took it upon herself. I guess she looked up research uh, 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 treatment centers, and I just, I didn't do anything. I just knew that in about four or five days, I was going to treatment. Mm -hmm. So I, I thank them. They, they took it from there. Because yeah. for those four or five days, I still got loaded like crazy. Because... I, I wasn't willing to detox anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. real quick, because um, just a little sidebar, I know that you had mentioned when we were talking offline that you know several treatment centers here in, in Southern California. Is there anybody that you want to give a quick plug with to anybody sure. in Southern California that might need help uh, and want to reach out? Absolutely. Well, the treatment, I the, the center I got, uh, clean out finally it was called ocean hills recovery there in uh, dana point san juan capistrano which is orange county uh, uh, i believe in them it's a legit facility um, i still once in a while like keep in contact with them and then they're in a residential treatment facility uh, there are other ones that are some of my friends run that i, I also believe in but outpatient-wise, uh, 449 is another treatment center that I'm close to, and I believe in them as well as people that are trying to help. Um, and then um, a few of my other friends own, like, uh, one is in Encinitas, it's called uh, SCRC, and it's, it's also run by a group of men who I firmly believe in, 
that they have clients' best interest at stake. So nice, nice. All right, now take me uh, real quick back through your treatment program. What was like that like? Um, what can people expect if they go through treatment? Uh, and I guess what what yeah. had the most impact on you? Was it obviously shifting your mindset first and foremost to this is it, I'm done, I am ready, I surrender? Yeah, I think it was primarily that because if that never happened, you would get loaded again regardless of where you go. Yeah. So the best treatment centers have relapse rates as well. Yeah. That's really important to understand. But I think what really caught my attention was the fact that the community around me inspired me. There were a group of men who, I guess, managed themselves well. They were stand-up people, and I wanted what they had. And it was simply a life where, you know, addiction doesn't run them. Yeah. So I just did what they did. And prime, you know what the biggest thing was, though? Um, the reason why I was so good at being an addict was because I valued it so much. Everything in my life revolved around it. I spent 25 hours a day doing it. So you eventually get good at it. I then realized that for me to get sober, I would have to put 25 hours a day into recovery. Yeah. Because otherwise my brain would just not click. Yeah. And so I spent all day um, doing sober things. If it wasn't like two to three meetings a day, it was sober related functions. Uh, my phone was just covered with like blasted with people that were sober, regardless of what program, like, I don't care if you're AACANA, I, I, I give zero fucks about what drug you did. As long as you were trying to recover, I would, we could have been friends. Nice know? man. Nice. And you're still going to meetings. We were talking last night. You had a yeah. meeting at seven o'clock last night. Absolutely. Um, I still go for many reasons, primarily one for myself. I still need to uh, be active in my sobriety. And two, I need to see people. I need to see people that are either struggling or have a solution. Because you so, want to help them. Yep. Yeah. And I need them to inspire me. Because yep. seeing somebody with like seven days clean talk about, uh, I'm willing to do this, this, and this just to get high again, or I lost everything again, I need to relive that moment. Yeah. Nice, yeah. man. Nice. Wow. Incredible story, Fuxi. Incredible story. Now let's get to the good stuff. How you feeling now? What are you doing? What's life like now that you're seven years sober and kicking ass and taking names? Life is still really hard. Life is, is still really hard. Life is still full. It was always full. It was just full of bullshit. Now it's full of stressful positivity. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but uh, with responsibilities. But it is, um, I'm in a doctorate level program. I will be done, I think, May of this year. I graduate with um, a doctorate in physical therapy, which is crazy to say. Um, and my my big focus right now, first of all, is just finishing the program. I still have to graduate and then pass the board to be licensed. But I'm really, really, really focused on how I can make recovery and wellness my life because in sobriety, I was shown how to recover from mental, let's say, mental addiction, mental health. With my profession now, I'm learning to be a specialist 
in physical recovery. And I am trying to blend the worlds. So my big goal is implementing physical activity into treatment. Nice. So well, I like that. Speaking of the physical activity, dude, you've got this challenge going on. The Sober yep. Burpee 50. And I so, watch these videos, dude. I hate burpees. I used to do CrossFit. And I remember, you know, I'd be able to go look online. And they had the workout, the wad. Of the yeah, day. yeah, the wad. Dude, and I'd see 50 burpees or 100 burpees. I'm like, eh, I think I'm going to skip this workout. So uh-huh. talk talk to me about I, the, uh, the Sober Burpee 50. I learned about burpees in CrossFit as well. Um, I don't know why I gravitated toward them. I... I think I, I liked them because they were so damn effective. Like if you just bang out 20 at like max effort, you you're already functioning at a like anaerobic level where you're just like 100%. So hard. 20, um, try three, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so, yo, and I just love like the concept of a burpee. You fall down, you get back up. Love that. That's it. And it's such a full body exercise where I made a video, um, I don't know, maybe like two months ago or so where I said, if you don't, I gave, I gave, I was trying to inspire, inspire people who struggle with addiction to simply do something uh, uh, exercise related. And then I realized, well, I should give them something I should recommend or suggest something. I can't just leave them open again. Cause then that, that is a help. Yeah. And I was, I thought about, it, I was like, well, shit, if you don't know what to do, just drop and do 50 burpees. And I was like, yeah, that's brilliant because <laughs> it's, it's hard, it's fulfilling, and it's, it takes long enough where your brain neurochemistry will change. Yeah. Your, 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 your levels of uh, dopamine will go up. Your, your, the, the crazy like uh, um, um, stress hormones will go down because you're not focused on the chatter. Yep. So, so your I, goal I is to do this every single day through the end of the year? Yep. You're nuts, dude. You're nuts, bro. Now. <laughs> and I filmed two. I, I did two sets of 50 today. This morning, I woke up and I walked out onto my patio and it was beautiful. So I knocked out 50 this morning. And then when I saw my nephews, they're just like rambunctious. So I pulled out a yoga mat and did 50 with them. And <laughs> I had no clue where I was really going with this. Though. Like, I really thought I was just going to do 50. I initially wanted this to just be a suggestion of what people can do. And then I realized, well, how am I really helping out the cause? Well, fine, I'll do it for others. And then I realized, like, I I think I can really, like, make this more uh, impactful. So then I decided to do it every day for a year. And then that was crazy on day two when it hit me, like, dog, that's (laughs) 18,250 repetitive movements i'm gonna do <laughs> that's insane but you know what i'm gonna support you buddy i'm gonna support Thank you i'm gonna be on there liking it giving you all these comments yeah. and uh i'm gonna do my video i'm gonna do the time lapse my time lapse will probably be like 20 minutes of, to get those you know 50 what? burpees done <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna guess right now you are gonna knock them out in like six and a half minutes all right we got this and we're doing it you, man i support yeah, you and sure. i support everything you're doing man so let's wrap this up. I want to um, I want to end with with a couple of questions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my goal, our goal, is to always bring as much value as possible to our listeners, to those who are suffering, and to the loved ones of who uh, have somebody who is suffering. So, my first question to you is: 
What advice would you give anybody who is suffering right now? What is the biggest piece of advice? You've been through it. You've experienced it. You've came out on top. What would you tell somebody right now? If you're sitting in front of Fuxi back in the day when he was waking up with a uh, crack pipe on his bed. Uh, heroin pipe. Sorry. But... <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> heroin pipe. Or any... It was a, a ballpoint big pen that I just kind of <laughs> cut off two ends. Um, it's, it's twofold. One, you have to ask for help. You have to vocally, not like I'm just going to look like I need help. No, you actively have to ask for help. And then the second part is when you do, you have to take the suggestion offered to you. It's, it. it's that simple. It's, there's no other formula that I've seen work. It doesn't just go away. Okay. And thank you for sharing that. And for Fuxi's mom who found you and, you know, the loved ones who yeah. don't know what to do or where to turn to, what advice would you give them? Um, so there is a program called Al-Anon, which is for people who are dealing or want to learn how to deal with individuals they love who are going through it so they themselves aren't um, necessarily addicted but they might be enablers or, or they might uh, just not know what to do so they can check out Al-Anon I think okay. that would be a great first resource because they, they will meet other parents friends, loved ones who are dealing with the same got it man uh, yeah. otherwise going online that's, that's a rabbit hole that's a rabbit hole that they're going to start reading words and more words and more words they have to put themselves in front of other people who are struggling to cope with this got it perfect man perfect well listen anything else you want to share with the community uh, um sure i want everybody to first of all cultivate compassion and how you do that is by talking to people who struggle if you are someone who struggled share your story there's no other way people are going to learn what this was like unless you share your honest story and um, i do want to promote that burpee challenge it's it was initially originally started just so i could share love and make somebody worth um feel like they were worthwhile in that moment because i dedicated 50 to somebody so it's a great way to have somebody feel like they are loved if you dedicate 50 god awfully challenges for <laughs> their name. So, awesome. Yeah. And where can people find you on social media? Um, so on Instagram and at Facebook, it's I am Fuxi. I A M F O O X I E. My last name is Fuchs. When I got sober, my homegirl called me Fuxi and it stuck. So nice, dude, nice. You guys, I highly suggest those who are listening, check him out. He's an inspiration. Fuxi dude, I can't even thank you enough for being on the show. Uh my heart is filled with joy and love. And uh you inspired me, man. You really inspired me, and I know your story is gonna inspire others. So I appreciate you. you, brother. I appreciate you. Know, you. The, the same level of respect goes back to you, Kevin. Sincerely, like your 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 role in this whole um equation is valid it's important and your voice is actually pretty rare because we have people that are going through it sharing their story and have people that have no clue what to do with it keeping their mouth shut 
Yeah. You have a fine line where you've experienced it from the outside and you're sharing your story and trying to help others. So well, I'll tell you what, man, I would do anything to get my uh, sister, brother-in-law and uh, best friend back. So this is my way of giving back. If, if we can share stories that will save a life uh, and deliver the message of hope, that's the intention, brother. Thank you. Yeah. So, all right, man. Thank you. I want to thank you to uh, everyone who's listening. Please spread the word, spread the podcast. I uh, would greatly appreciate it. Keep coming back and uh, look forward to the next podcast. You guys have a blessed day and we'll see you next time. Thanks for being in recovery, rock stars. I guess today's episode is done. In all seriousness, though, Kevin appreciates you being part of this community. Recoveryrockstars.com. Want to email us? Kevin at recoveryrockstars.com. Facebook, Recovery Rockstars. Instagram us at Recovery Rockstars. Kevin's wardrobe brought to you by Kevin. Kevin's transportation brought to you by Kevin. Kevin's cable bill paid by Kevin so he can keep this podcast going. Goodbye.